It's a new episode, and it's a feel-good story. A man who saved an island, and the internet says it's true. Well, hey, welcome. Welcome back. I appreciate you listening. This is The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like I made it up, but it's really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience. I'm Michael Kent. This is episode 156. Thanks for bearing with me for the last few weeks. I've been wrapping up some summer travels and uh, haven't been able to get new episodes out, but this is a new one. So this is all about this gentleman named Brendan Grimshaw. Really interesting. Also, um, I wanted to announce once again, we'll be doing something for the next few weeks. It's a patron drive. I'll be adding in some bonus episodes. You'll hear those very soon. I've got one ready to go. Um, that's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. If you'd like to join, we really do appreciate all the support. Patreon.com slash Michael Kent. You can see all the goodies there. When you visit it, you'll you'll see everything you get. Uh, so for this week, we're going to visit the Seychelles. The Seychelles are considered the smallest country in Africa. It's an ar- archipela- archipelago. <laughs> I always screw that word up. Archipelago of 115 small islands in the Indian Ocean. And if you're looking at a map, it's located about 1,200 miles off the coast of Kenya, if you just go straight east from Kenya. Now, it was under British rule for a long time, from 1814 all the way up to 1976. But now it's a sovereign African nation, and it's actually a member of the UN and the Commonwealth of Nations. It has a population of only about 100,000 people total in an area of 176 square miles. It has the highest per capita GDP of any African country. Now, the Seychelles doesn't make the news very often. One of the most recent times people heard the name of the island chain was back in 2017. It was the site of a highly secretive and and heavily criticized meeting between a Trump operative, Eric Prince, and Russian officials. The country is often used as a place to meet when you require total discretion. So it's been used as a tax haven forever for companies who want to remain confidential. In fact, when a company starts up in the Seychelles, there's no legal requirement for an annual account reports or audit statements. The only thing that the government there requires are the Articles of Incorporation and a Memorandum of Association. That's it. The other thing that the archipelago is known for is tourism, making up something like 44% of the country's jobs and about 19% of their total GDP. Most of the tourism boom has occurred since the 2008 financial crisis, after which tourism actually doubled in the country. But the balance of tourism and conservation has always been a struggle for the Seychellois. By the way, people from the Seychelles are called Seychellois. That's one of the cooler ones. Anyway, it was under British rule for a long time, but by the mid-1960s, the main island of the Seychelles, known as Mahe Island, was already seeing some negative effects of tourism. Plastics, overcrowding, overfishing, and air pollution were threatening the natural habitat for some of the really unique species found on the island chain. The most famous species in the Seychelles is the Aldabra giant tortoise, one of the largest tortoises in the world. But it's also home to unique birds like the paradise flycatcher, the black parrot, the sunbird, magpie robin, and the Seychelles scop owl. The island has been the home for unique species of frogs, snakes, and lizards, and as many as 12 types of exotic plants not found anywhere else, like the coco de mer, which has the largest seed of any plant in the world. When you get done listening, Google coco de mer, that's C-O-C-O-D-E-M-E-R, and look at the seed of this thing. It's huge. 
these plants and animals were starting to become threatened by the tourism and fishing industries, and one man who visited the island took note. Brendan Grimshaw is the hero of our story. He was originally from Yorkshire in the UK, but had been living in British-controlled Kenya as a newspaper editor. In 1961, neighboring Tanzania had gained its independence from Britain, and Grimshaw saw the writing on the wall that Kenya would become independent soon as well. He was friends with Tanzania's new leader, Julius Nair, and he knew what was going to happen, so he started looking for other places to live and work. He thought that once Kenya was independent and established its own government, jobs as prestigious as the editor of a major newspaper would be rightly given to Kenyan locals. Living among nature had become important to Brendan Grimshaw. He started looking for new places to live that could allow him to be close to the kind of natural habitats that he enjoyed in Kenya. He found the paradise he was searching for in the Seychelles. At the age of 37, he had a dream of owning his own island, but there weren't many islands for sale in the world. In the Seychelles, if you wanted to buy one of the 115 islands, you had to know someone, and the only islands that were available were barely able to be inhabited. He had almost given up and was getting ready to head back to Kenya when a man on the street approached him. Almost as if by fate, the man asked Brendan if he'd be interested in buying an island. We'll continue this story after a quick break. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Brendan Grimshaw was as surprised as anyone when a man approached him on the street in 1962. The man was Philippe Georges. He and his wife had owned an inhabited island since 1946. He and Philippe had dinner and soon traveled to the island to check it out. Moyen Island is tiny. It's about a quarter of a mile long and about half as wide. The entire area is less than 0.04 square miles, about 24 acres. Aside from a couple fishermen, the island had never been inhabited, save for a few pirates a hundred years before and the families that owned the island. It was overgrown and contained plant life that had been virtually untouched for all of history. When Philippe Georges took Grimshaw to the island, 
he knew immediately it was what he was looking for. He fell in love and bought it. The cost was 8,000 British pounds or about 10,000 US, equivalent to around $100,000 today. But the real story here is why Grimshaw bought the island. With Seychelles tourism taking off in the 60s, you'd think it would be an amazing investment to buy this island, clear it, and develop it for tourists. But Grimshaw wanted to do the exact opposite. He wanted to preserve this beautiful place so people would forever be able to see what he was seeing, a place full of natural beauty and untouched by the pollution, commotion, and tourism that was plaguing so many other natural areas nearby. He got to work clearing paths throughout the island. He found that for much of the island, it was so overgrown that it wasn't inhabited by the tortoises and birds that could be found in other areas of the archipelago. He said it was so choked with weeds that a coconut falling from a tree couldn't even hit the ground. Rats foraged the undergrowth of the island, but not much else. His work in clearing out the underbrush and cutting paths would help animals once again roam the island. Around this time, Grimshaw made a friend, young 19-year-old René Lafortune. René was the son of a fisherman and shared the same goal as Brendan for the island. The two men worked together to beautify the place. He knew that he wanted to create a place where he could live, but his focus was also on the island itself and preserving it forever. Over time, Grimshaw learned more and more about the history of the island. Near one of the beaches, there were two graves that he thought to be those of pirates and spent many of his days on the island looking for their treasure. Prior to Philippe and Vera Georges owning the island, it was owned by several others, including Julie and Melador Loanges and, and Alfred Demarez de Charme. But none of these owners did anything but simply live on the island. Moyen doesn't have its own fresh water supply, so living there means ferrying to one of the larger islands just to get water. Together, Brendan Grimshaw and his helper René Lafortune planted 16,000 trees, cut three miles of nature paths, and even started reintroducing animals to the island. They bought and bred Aldabra giant tortoises to live on the island. At one point, Grimshaw said he had a vision of making Moyen Island look like what the Seychelles looked like before all the tourists came. The entirety of the rest of Grimshaw's life was dedicated to this tiny island. Every day, he woke up and worked on something, whether it was clearing paths, planting trees, breeding turtles, or simply exploring. And through the 80s, the island became more and more valuable as the Seychelles continued to develop. He was constantly being offered money for the place, at one point as much as $50 million. One of the more interesting things about Moyen Island is that Grimshaw himself always maintained that the island was haunted. He believed it was haunted by the ghosts of the pirates that were buried there, and he would occasionally visit Mahe Island and tell stories of the strange things he had seen while living on Moyen. And as he grew older, he started becoming worried about what would happen to this paradise after he died. His father, who had spent the later years of his life living with Grimshaw, passed away and was buried on the island. And when René Lafortune passed away in 2007, Grimshaw decided to act. They had spent 50 years working to preserve this island, and now it was time to protect it. So in 2009, he was successful in setting up an agreement with the government of Seychelles and their Ministry of the Environment. It was a perpetual trust and deemed that Moyen Island was a national park, part of the St. Anne Marine Park. And with this, Moyen Island became the smallest national park in the world. 
In 2012, Grimshaw died in his 80s and was buried on the island next to his father, LaFortune, and two unknown buccaneers. Today, you can visit Moyen Island as there is a year-round custodian that helps to preserve and protect the natural space. It's now the home to more than 120 Aldabra giant tortoises, hundreds of bird species, and the island has more plant species per square mile than any other national park in the world. And even though it's just a tiny piece of land, it's an amazing example of how one human can make a difference to protect our planet. The internet says it's true. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today I'm calling my friend Jason Lynette. I met Jason uh, probably close to 10 years ago when we did a high school gig together. And I have some amazing stories from that gig, by the way, because uh, a couple things happened that were just ridiculous. Um, but Jason is a hypnotist, both uh, on stage and clinically. Can I say clinically, Jason? Is that a fair term to say? You can. And I'd say the update in the last decade has been that a lot of the application of what I do is also going over to the business world. So that of how do we make use of ethical sales persuasion to create pre-sold clients? I love it. Ethical sales persuasion. Well, it's so cool to have you on the show. I know nothing about hypnotism and I will be honest, it creeps me out just a little bit. Um, and it's that ethical thing because I know that it's ethical. I know that you're not doing anything untoward or, or nefarious. But when I see a, a stage hypnosis show, there's that blurring of the line of consent for me. When I watch it, I'm like, the thing that makes this funny for the audience is that it feels like these people are doing these things against their will. Now, I know that they're not. I know that no one does anything on stage that they don't want to do or that they're not okay doing. Um, but I, it, the, the reason why it's funny to the audience is because there is that blur of a line. So... How They'll do take you... that same exact scenario and yeah. bring it into the personal change side of things. And sure. I've got to just tell the quick story of the guy who came into my office years ago and was having a hard time having the one drink and stopping there. Mm -hmm. And he looks at me and he says, is it true you can make me do things I normally wouldn't do? And I had to see that opportunity to say, well, isn't that the goal here? You normally <laughs> wouldn't have the one and then stop. So yes, you're right. that is what we're about to do. And he goes... I was hoping it was going to be that. Good. <laughs> I put it this way. It's about helping to amplify what people want. Sure. Yeah. And um, I, I know I'm friends with enough, enough hypnotists that I know that no one does, you know, stuff on stage that they don't already, that they wouldn't do. But yeah. um, anyway, so we're going to move on to our topic. And for this question, Jason, we're playing for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you got to tell me a joke. It can be a street joke, a popsicle stick joke. It doesn't matter. A jokey joke. If you get it right, I'll tell you a joke. So those are the stakes. Brendan Grimshaw is a man who bought an island for $10,000 in 1962. What did he do with that island? A, he turned it into the world's smallest national park. B, he developed it into one of the world's strangest amusement parks. Or C, he sold it for $40 billion. I'm going to go immediately to see that he sold it for $40 billion because clearly to do a state park um, wouldn't make sense. I'm here in Orlando. We have enough theme parks here. So clearly selling for the billions of dollars. The answer, Jason, is A, he turned it into the world's smallest national park. This is in the Seychelles. 
So he bought an, an island that's just about 24 acres total, tiny little place. And, and back in 62, he had the foresight to start preserving this island. And then before he died, he actually did have it turned into a national park so it would be preserved forever. So it's an amazing, heartwarming story this week. Um, but uh, I would have sold it for $40 billion. I can tell you that right now. There's a time in the British Virgin Islands, I went to this one place that it was an island and that was the whole city. And it was six people. Wow. And it was, you want to meet the mayor? <laughs> no. <laughs> He's also the judge. It's like, it's like nothing but trouble. Do you remember that movie? Nothing but oh, trouble. John yeah. Candy. And I've brought that movie up to a few people who don't have any recollection of ever having seen it. And I know you have four more questions, but can we just yeah. riff for the next four minutes on um, that movie as well as Joe versus the volcano and Johnny dangerously. Oh, so are, are the Joe versus the volcano. I'll see I you saw, and I'll raise you one. I saw once in the theater, believe it or not, never saw Johnny dangerously. Um, oh, but make that happen. Yeah, I, I will. I will try yeah. to do that. Do you have a joke? You like how I'm stalling to no, get around the joke here, by the way, which um, knock, knock. Okay, who's there? Always running late chicken. Always running late chicken who? Oh, I don't get it. Did I? Pretty much it. I don't get it. Can you yeah. explain it to us? Always running late. Oh, always right, running late. So he didn't knock on the, who knocked on the door? Always running late. He's so, oh God. Ah! I, I should have, oh my there God. Go. There you go. Boo. Oh. That gets it. I guess one of those. Oh my yeah. lord, Jason! It's this is okay. why the focus is that on uh, personal change as well as <laughs> business messaging. I'm going to encourage and, um, you to personally change and find a better joke for next time you're on the podcast. Well, but I didn't. Maybe there was no important prep. to point out that we planned this as of like 90 seconds before we started. This is here, true. Which, uh, yeah, <laughs> this is true. This is true. But that's the that's the fun of not preparing. Uh, is that. You get the jokes that already exist in people's head. I bring nothing to the table. <laughs> so fun story. Um, the, the, your one of your children was born the day that we did a show together, and you left early from the show. Yes, that night to make <laughs> to make the um, the delivery. Not to make you didn't personally deliver, but to be there for the delivery. I'm really good at uh, multitasking, it turns out. Yeah. No, it was my wife, of course. Yeah. Um, and it was the game of... Now, the rest of that story was that was like the first of three oh, um, boy. passes at, it's coming now, and no. Oh, and no. then a second time, and then the third time, it was the doctors just going, just stick around. You don't have to leave this time. <laughs> well, uh, that was... So how, how old is that child now? So, so we know how long ago that show was. He just turned 12. 12 years ago. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here in a little bit, we'll tell a story about that. Uh, for this next question, we're going to play for a favorite song. You don't have to sing it. You just have to tell us what it is. So here's your question. Musha K is a private island in the Bahamas owned by who? Now, before I give the options, do you already know without me telling you? I've got a good feeling on this one okay. that as soon as I hear the names. Yeah. Okay. So it's either A, Joe Biden. B, Madonna, or C, David Copperfield? David Copperfield. You are correct. It is C, David Copperfield. He owns Musha K. It's a private island in the Bahamas. And uh, for, I can't remember what ridiculous amount of money, if you're a wealthy person, or if you've got a bunch of friends who all you know want to spend your money, you can go and stay there as a resort. And they've got a... Well, funny story. It originally was the world's smallest state park. 
and then it was actually then put on the market uh, for $40 billion. $40 billion. And, David Copperfield yeah, has that kind of money. He's doing all right. He's doing all right. <laughs> I mean, he owns the theater in Vegas now himself because no one could promote it as well as he could. So just- Is that right? I'll buy it. Yeah. He owns the, the, the theater there at the MGM? Well, he owns that's... the commercial space that's inside. And that's oh, out. got it. Got yeah. it. Wow. Unbelievable. So I owe you favorite songs. Um, I have two. One of them is uh, America, Simon and Garfunkel, America, uh, also sung by Paul Simon solo. And then uh, Bill Withers, Lovely Day. Those are two songs that I can listen to every day and they'll make me smile. Love both of them. America has that nostalgia. Lovely Day is just like it makes everything go away. So those are that. Um, Okay, so for question three, we always play for one of these stickers. This is a, the internet says it's true sticker. And that's the prize. If you get this one, right. If you get it wrong, nothing happens. The United States made Hawaii a state in 1959, but it had been a U.S. territory since it was annexed by president McKinley. What year was it annexed? Was it a 1922 B 1898 or C 1931? I'm going to play fair here. In the sense that right now I'm exercising any bit of telepathetic, telepathic. Let's go with telepathetic skill because Google is open on this window. <laughs> the hands are yes, free. And, yes, um, and I'm watching. Okay. And this is, uh, give me the years again, please. Uh, so A was 1922, B is 1898, and C is 1931. And there is a hint in this, in this one in that it was annexed by President William McKinley. And of course, we all remember those McKinley years so well. <laughs> right. That's that's why that's I was well. comfortable putting that clue in the question. He was my second favorite president who can dunk. Oh, okay. There yeah. you go. I'm guessing John Adams. John Adams. Oh, I was going to guess Barack Obama could dunk. No, he was uh, very... John Adams had a very surprising vertical. Okay, uh, which is why Paul Giamatti played him. I'm going to go. Was it 1922? By the way, I just want to point out that me saying Obama can dunk is not a race thing. He was very well known for playing basketball in the White House. Just wanted to point that out. Okay, sorry. Uh, okay, so what was that's your... kind of the point of the joke? But it's also <laughs> to pick out the most random one. Yes. Of, it was Harrison, but he only had forty days in office. That's and, right. Um, so twenty-two. Tw- the answer, of course, eighteen ninety-six. You are you going to change to eighteen ninety-eight? Uh, final answer. Yes. Thank you, Regis. The answer, 1898. Great last minute dodge to get the one right there. Um, oh. Yeah. William uh, William McKinley annexed. Now, I Googled this real quick because I was like, you know how everyone talks about when we bought Alaska. And I was like, how much did we buy Hawaii for? And when you Google it, it says right there at the top, like $72 billion or something like a million. I don't know. Well, what funny it was. story. It used to be actually the uh, second smallest state park. Um, oh, and then 40 there billion. Was this, um, yeah. and then Chris Angel showed up. <laughs> Chris Angel had and, bought. Yes. Sorry. It's uh, your show. No, no worries. Uh, the, yeah. uh, so it said something like, you know, we bought Hawaii for 72 million or billion or whatever it was, but that's not true. Uh, I, I looked into it a little further. We did not buy Hawaii. We annexed Hawaii. Um, and so, uh, you know, we kind of, I guess, you know, we, I, could you say we colonized Hawaii? I mean, it is somewhat imperial. I'm trying what to figure here. out what proper term that uh, annexed is stole? trying to replace. <laughs> stole? Is that the word? <laughs> annexed is another word for stole Hawaii. Uh, I have discovered these Americas. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We we Columbus Hawaii. Yeah. All right. Question four. Oh, by the way, you will get a sticker 
uh, in the mail. So just send me your your mailing address and I'll send you a sticker in the mail. For this next question, we're going to play for an embarrassing story. So if you get it wrong, you've got to tell us about something embarrassing that happened to you. If you get it right, I'll tell you an embarrassing story that happened to me and I'll tell the story. Mine will be the thing that from 12 years ago. Uh, which one of these is a famous delicacy of the Seychelles Islands? Was it A, fruit bat curry, B, giant tortoise soup, or C, dung beetle stew? So once again, that's fruit bat curry, giant tortoise soup, or dung beetle stew. I've got to say it's the fourth option, which is a paella of all those things combined. <laughs> but uh, for the sake of time, let's go with the dung beetle stew. The answer... Fruit bat curry, the spicy curry made from fruit bats. It's marinated in vinegar, salt, and cloves. It's been eaten there since early settlement for whatever reason. So um, do you have an embarrassing story? So let's talk business for a moment, because at one point it would have been, at this point, maybe six or seven years ago, that I'm, as hypnotist, as a trainer of hypnosis, there's a brand that I run called Work Smart Hypnosis, and that's the educational side. And I was looking at launching something more personal development to go more mainstream. So right. kind of like how this chat started. Sure. I didn't want to use the hypnosis word. I didn't want to use the H word. So like, what's another word for getting into like, you know, getting into state, getting into the right mindset and zone came yeah. to mind. And then, okay, so another word for change. We don't want to call it the change zone. Um, and Gods of the internet opened up and I found that transformation zone. I thought you were going to say annex, like no, annex, no. annex your mind. Well, it turned out it was the third smallest um, island. And, <laughs> uh, so I looked around the web and found that transformation zone transformation was available. Zone. I love it. And, and as somebody who also podcasted, strategy was, let me record 10 episodes, get this thing ready. I had to buy the website from a squatter for like, he wanted 8,000. I talked him down to 5,000. Okay. And about the time we were ready to roll this out, the people who have edited my podcast for years go, have you Googled this? And I go, I found one person who put out a blog episode called uh, Transformation Zone. He actually signed a piece of paper and took a photo of it and sent it to me saying, I will not sue Jason Lynette for the use <laughs> of this name. And she goes, no, no, the editors, no, you need to Google this. I'm like, it's available. The trademark's wide open. I'm about to file the paperwork. She goes, Click on the image search. Oh, and no. Okay. Michael, the part of the vagina that has to become the most flexible during childbirth for the baby's <laughs> head to pass through <laughs> is the transformation zone. Really? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody would like a bargain on um, a couple of web domains. That is an amazing might... story. <laughs> yeah. That's one of so, the better um, ones we've had on the show. Well, it's oh about flexibility God. in life, right? You know, because you look at where you are and it's about stretching to, I'm just going to stop before this gets. Oh, that's amazing. That is an yeah. amazing, thank you so much for sharing that story. Which with I us. believe might be related to your story too, somehow. Our story, well, my story. So we were doing this show and it was kind of magician versus the hypnotist was how they build this. And it was a high school show. And so we performed it once during the That was the, the day. hook for the opening sentence of the article. And then we just did our programs. That's right. We just did, yeah. we each did like 45 or something. And and you did yours first and everything was on time and I did mine. And then uh, I, I have this thing in the show where it's like I made a mistake and I write the things on the marker board and yeah. that's the thing. And, and uh, it resolves at the end of the show. So the audience knows I didn't make a mistake this whole time. You were looking at the answer. Well, we get to the end of the show and I look at my watch and 
We're right on time. I'm like, perfect. Okay. Timed it out. Great. And then the students who put on the show start coming on stage as if the show is over. Right before I reveal this thing, they take the microphone from me. Before I said, before they took the microphone, I was like, hey, can I, I just have one more minute, one more minute. And they're like, no, 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 we have to, we have to go. Uh, they took the microphone from me. And so then, you know, I'm basically neutered. I can't do anything. So I just, and I turn around and they're carrying my props off stage for me. I'm like, oh my God. So uh, I just walk off stage at that point, just fuming because not only did the audience think that I screwed up this trick, but that I kept referring back to it and never <laughs> fixed it or anything. So what had happened was uh, there was a high school student who had graduated like the year prior, was about to go audition for America's Got Talent as a dancer. And he had talked to the principal while we were performing that he was into being like he was the big surprise closing act. And the principal's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, and so, you know, time be damned. Uh, I had this thing all timed out, but it didn't matter. And so I was just fuming because this whole audience thought that, you know, my show was obviously me pointing to a mistake. Uh, and then we had to pull it together because you and I did like a quick hit for local news to promote the same show that we were doing in the evening in the same theater for the community. And I know for that one, you that's when you had got the call that you needed to go back to, I believe is Pennsylvania. Is that right? Um, to Virginia, Virginia, Virginia at the time, Virginia yeah. to, you know, be there for your wife. And so I think you did 20 or 30 minutes instead of the 45. And yeah, the original was... plan was that in the afternoon, I was going to go first and then you were going to go and yeah. in the evening. It was going to be the swap. But okay. then I was getting the, Hey, it might be soon, but not right now. And that's where I went first again. Yeah. And, and everyone yeah. was fine with that. I had no problem with that. I was like, okay, and I'll do, if I need to do longer, I can. Um, and then they go to introduce me for the evening show. And the girl takes a couple awkward stutter steps backwards and falls into my case. And everything goes spilling out across the stage. And I'm like, what did I do to deserve this karmic retribution on this evening? And, and that's I, about the time I went, I'm just going to leave. Yeah, I'm just, just out of here. Yeah. Good luck with that. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of phoned it in for that show. But uh, OK, just just one of those things where it's like both of those things happening in the same day made it really rough. Well, let's move on. Um, you've done two for two, I believe, on this so far. And so or two for four, excuse me, you're two and two. So this is for all the marbles, Jason. If you get this one right, this fifth question, you're welcome back on the show anytime. If you get it wrong, you're banned for life, never allowed back. Here is your question. If you lived on a deserted island and had the ability to take only one film with you, and of course, we're also assuming there's a TV and something to watch the film with, an internet connection for some reason on this island, what would it be? What would that one film be? I've got to go immediately to Monty Python, Life of Brian. Life of Brian. Yes. Interesting. Well, we'll call that a win. Um, that's a great film, but I would never, I, I think I've only seen Life of Brian two or three times in my life. I was much more, you know, Monty Python. I've seen a million times. Life of Brian, I've only seen a couple. What it is. It's the, it's the one that actually follows one narrative the entire way through, even though it still <laughs> kind of maintains the. Oh, here's the sketch of the protesters forgetting what the name of their protest group is. Uh, my favorite scene is the one where the man is trying to buy, uh, how much for this gourd? Five shekels. Here you go. What, you're not going to haggle? And just these quick exchanges <laughs> yeah. and the writing inside of it, uh, to look at how that one stands on its own and to hear, man, that, that's one of those things that to hear the stories behind it as to when they were creating it and uh, the aspect of people protesting a movie that they had not yet seen. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
I if love only it. that was something that uh, thankfully never repeated in history right. ever again. Right, exactly. Being angry about something they didn't have the context of. It happens every day. Uh, that is, I'm. What's that supposed to mean? You're gonna make me go back and see. Watch that. I'm gonna go watch it now. I think Life of Brian. Maybe that'll be our our movie that we watch tonight for the for our anniversary. I'm sure my wife will be on board with that. Um, <laughs> instead of dinner, it's, honey, it's, it's got a love story in it, you know? Yeah, so. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for coming on. Tell people where they can find your work. Easiest way to track me down is that I help people to attract pre-sold clients. So we actually got that website and kept that one because it's not part of the uh, female anatomy. So check out <laughs> attract pre-soldclients.com and Right when you land on that page, there's a number of free resources from some free guides, as well as some on-demand training there, too. Amazing. Amazing. Go check it out. Everyone, uh, thank you so much for, for Jason Lynette for being on the show, and I hope to have you back sometime. Absolutely. Good to be here. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it. See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True. The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Joshua Endress, Dallas Ray, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Jim and Joanne Martin, Mitch and Andrew Joseph Kemplin, and the show's official Emperor, Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and all audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent.